0: Good morning, Church. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's go to the Lord this morning and let's confess our sins to Him. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from Thy ways much like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and the desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we have ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not have done. And there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord, And grant, O merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. and Amen. Brothers and sisters, it is my pleasure to declare to you this morning, because of your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that your sins are forgiven. Praise be to God. Well, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 20. We'll be looking at verse 13 together this morning. And I'll go ahead and read the text for us, and we can jump right in. And the Lord says through Moses, you shall not murder. And may he add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So if you're just joining us this morning, we are currently in the second part of our Ten Commandments sermon series. And in the first four weeks of our series, we looked at what has been called the first table of the law. And in the first table of the law, we saw and we learned together what it looks like to love God. And if you recall, to love God biblically looks like having no other gods, making no images of him or bowing down to them, bearing his name well, and resting in him by observing the Sabbath one day per week. Right? That's the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. And so last week we began looking at what has been called the second table of the law. And there we learned about the first way that God wants us to love our neighbors. And that was by honoring our fathers and our mothers. And if you tuned into last week's episode of Talks at New Haven, you learned that the scope of that commandment is actually much broader than just our natural fathers and our mothers. It also includes that we honor our spiritual fathers and mothers, which are those who are serving as pastors, who serve in the church, and, and those who disciple us. It also includes, according to Thomas Watson, that we honor the governing authorities, who serves as a political father. And he also argued that it includes that we honor those who are aged and full of wisdom, whom he referred to as ancient fathers. And so if you have any questions about that commandment, I would refer you back to last week's sermon and episode of Talks. Now, this morning we're going to be moving forward in our sermon series, and we're going to be looking at the second way that God has given to us for loving our neighbor, which is found in the sixth commandment, which is, You shall not murder. Now, as we begin this morning, we must begin by setting up the historical context of this commandment, and as we've discussed, Uh, As we discussed last week, during Israel's time in Egypt, they lived in a place where human life was not valued. Right? If you remember, we see this pretty early on in the Exodus story. As you recall, in Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh mandated that the Hebrew midwives eliminate all of the Hebrew boys uh, who were born during that time. Also, if you recall, prior to Moses fleeing from Egypt to Midian in Exodus chapter 2, there was an Egyptian man, a guard, who was beating one of Moses' fellow Hebrew men. And so Israel spent 430 years in a place that simply did not value human life. Right? They treated it as dispensable, and that was the historical context of this commandment. And so in this commandment, here's what God is Saying to Israel, and here's what he's teaching them about loving neighbor. He says, I don't want you to treat your neighbor the way that you were treated in Egypt. In Egypt, you were hated. Egypt and Pharaoh dealt angrily with you, and at times and in ways, your lives were even taken unjustly. And so, in Israel, we are going to do things differently, we are going to be different from the surrounding nations. We're going to value human life, and here's how we're going to do that. You shall not murder. You shall not take the life of others, nor shall you take your own life, nor shall you be angry with or hate or take revenge upon your neighbors. Indeed, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer from the Protestant Reformation, also understood this commandment to be saying the same thing. And here's what he said. He says, Thou shalt not kill. What does this mean? that we should fear and love God so that we may not hurt nor harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him in every bodily need. Even Francis Turretin, who sat under the preaching and discipleship of John Calvin in Geneva, agreed and said this way, he says, not only is homicide and whatever pertains to it forbidden, but also since the law is spiritual, anger Hatred, the desire of revenge, and whatever is opposed to the true love of our neighbor and his legitimate defense is forbidden. Now, this should raise a couple questions for us this morning, some questions that we're going to have to answer. And some of those are, well, where does this commandment leave governing authorities in terms of things like capital punishment? Right? Is this unacceptable? Where does this leave us in terms of things like, say, self-defense? Is self-defense unacceptable, and, and are there exceptions to this rule? Well, if you want a longer answer to that, I would say tune into Talks at New Haven this evening. But to answer the question briefly, I would say, though this is a hotly debated topic, I would say that, yes, there certainly are exceptions to this rule. So Scripture clearly teaches in Genesis chapter 9 and Romans 13 That governing authorities bear the sword and have the ability to use capital punishment for those who commit evil and for those who take the lives of others. God clearly says that is legitimate and that he has given them the sword, uh, which is the authority to do this. Also, Scripture teaches clearly that Israel was the people of God. They were entirely able to defend themselves without being in sin. right? So I mean let's just think about it for a moment. okay. They had armies that went to war when invading armies attempted to start trouble with them. I mean let's just recall the David versus Goliath story as one of many examples. right? The, the entire book of Joshua outlines Israel's military strategy while conquering the land of Canaan. So I would say yes, there are certainly righteous exceptions to this rule but it's God's will that his people not take up vengeance for themselves, nor they unjustly murder their neighbors. So, Now, brothers and sisters, I believe that this commandment is still very relevant for us today, and here's how. Murder is still a major problem for us today, is it not? I mean, we live in a nation where, according to the CDC, 46 million little image-bearing babies have been murdered by abortion since its legalization. That's 40 million more babies murdered in our country than Jews who were murdered in the Holocaust. And as we've seen in the news the past several months, there are still literally people murdering one another in our streets. But beloved, we also see murder in our culture in far less insidious ways as well. In fact, we also see it in ways that we're actually all guilty of. Now, you may hear me say that, and you may say, Well, wait a minute, Pastor. I was on board until you said that. How am I guilty of murder? Right? I've never murdered anyone before. And to that, I would remind you of the word of our Lord in Matthew five twenty-one through 22, where he says, You have heard it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Also, the Apostle John picks up on this in 1 John 3.15, saying that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, you may hear that, and you may say, well, I still disagree. I I don't think that there's anything wrong with anger and hatred towards evil people who deserve it. And if that's you, let me just ask you a question that John Calvin asked his readers in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. How can you be angry with your brother without also passionately longing to do harm to him? Now you may hear that and you may say, but but my anger is almost always righteous anger, right? And to that I say that you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself, and here's why. How is it that an unrighteous sinner who produces works that are as filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64 and 6, offer up righteous anger? I mean, let's just think about it for a moment. When was the last time that you recall getting righteously angry at someone? I suspect that everyone here will be able to recall the last time that they got sinfully angry. But I doubt that anyone here can recall the last time that they got righteously angry. I mean, you can probably recall the last time that you got angry and ruined things. I doubt that any of us here can recall the last time that we got angry and things just went so awesome because we did. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that such a thing as righteous anger doesn't exist. I believe that it does. And I believe that Jesus, who was the perfect God-man, modeled it for us. However, I also believe that far more often than not, even the anger that we think is righteous anger is actually in fact, sinful anger, anger that leads to slander, anger that leads to gossip, to ruining reputations, and even murder, if not checked, because the fact remains that even our most righteous anger is still tainted and corrupted by sin. And because of this, each and every one of us this morning is guilty for breaking this commandment. And so with that in mind this morning, where is it that we must look to for forgiveness and cleansing? And where is it that we must look to for help in loving our neighbors? Well, brothers and sisters, as always, we must look unto Jesus. Amen? We must look unto Jesus. In his perfect life, Jesus lived in our place never becoming sinfully angry with his neighbors, never hating his neighbor, even those who were outside of the elect people of Israel, and never murdering his neighbor. He did that all on our behalf. And you see, he stood where we've all fallen. But that's not all. You see, he also went to the cross and bore the punishment that we deserve for not keeping this commandment perfectly. Upon the mount called Calvary, he bore the penalty penalty for murders while himself being murdered upon the cross. And he actually cried out to the Father on their behalf, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the Father granted the son's plea by vindicating him and raising him again from the grave three days later, and by giving all who come to him by faith in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, forgiveness for their hatred, their anger, and even their murder. Now you may hear that and you may say, are you really saying that God can and will forgive me? if I've even murdered someone, or if I've wanted them to die, or even if I've hated them? And the answer to that question is yes. Like many other men in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, like Gideon, Samson, David, who all burned with anger, hatred, and murder, you too can be washed as white as snow by the blood of Jesus, just like they were, even from the most heinous of sins. You see, that's the scandal of the gospel of grace, beloved. It declares that all of our sins, even those that we consider to be the greatest, can be and have been cast as far as the east is from the west. And that there is absolutely nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. But that's not all that Jesus promises, beloved. He also promises that those who come to Him will receive divine help for loving neighbors. And that He does that by filling us with His Spirit and by uniting us to Himself so that He may live out His perfect life in us. And in conclusion this morning, it is my prayer that in this crazy, hectic, tumultuous time, the outside world would look at New Haven Church and would say, there's a people who are quick to listen, who are slow to anger, and who are committed to to preserving and valuing human life from the womb to the tomb. And also it's my prayer that we would find, that when we find ourselves discouraged in this age and in this cultural moment, that we would set our eyes upon the coming new heavens and the new earth, and that we would allow its beauty, truth, and goodness to permeate our imaginations and our hopes, that we would set our hopes there on that coming day. Because, brothers and sisters, there is soon coming a day when the light will finally drive out the darkness, and that we shall finally dwell in a recreated world where God will finally put all things back to right. And what a day that will be, brothers and sisters. Let's pray.